Baptist camp, November 11th and 12th. Students will take part in uplifting worship services and have time in between sessions to eat s'mores around the campfire, go on a hayride, play basketball, canoe, try the adventure course, or... My name is Austin Moore, and I'm the junior high minister here at First Baptist Pasadena. We are seeing God move in some amazing ways here at our church each week. We are preparing for some awesome events here at FBP just for you. Here are some things we have coming your way, and we would love for you to join us. Fall is here, and that means October 31st is coming soon. We are excited to be the light for Jesus in our community again as we get ready for Light the Night. We are looking for 10 groups to host a home and give away candy and prizes to kids as they're trick-or-treating. Also, candy donation drop-off bins will be located in the Commons through next Sunday for you to donate a bag of unopened candy. Let's get ready to have some fun in our community as we light the night and share the love of Jesus. Hey, young adults, the collective is planning to go to Tokyo, Japan next summer. The trip is May 23rd through June 1st, 2023. The cost of the trip is $2,500. Space is extremely limited. So join us for our interest meeting today at 12.30 p.m. in E151 to get more details and to fill out an application. Fall Retreat is a weekend getaway for junior high students at Piney Woods Baptist Camp, November 11th and 12th. Students will take part in uplifting worship services and have time in between sessions to eat s'mores around the campfire, go on a hayride, play basketball, canoe, try the adventure course, or ride the giant swing. This weekend is a wonderful opportunity for your teenager to connect with God and build friendships that will last a lifetime. The cost is $75 and you can register at fbp.org forward slash junior high until next Sunday, October 23rd. This will be a weekend your student will not want to miss. Hey there, high schoolers. Winter Retreat 2022 is coming soon. Join us for an amazing time at Piney Woods Camp, November 20th through the 22nd. There will be all kinds of fun activities, including a giant swing and adventure park. 
Most importantly, it will be a perfect opportunity to grow in your relationship with God. The cost is $120 and registration is now open at fbp.org forward slash high school. Be sure to register by next Sunday, October 23rd to secure your spot. Come get filled up on this amazing retreat. The Link Media and Adult Ministry will be hitting the road for our next event. On Friday, November 4th, we will be going to a comedy show at Comedy Sports Houston. The show begins at 8 p.m. and tickets are $12 each. Take your own vehicle or join in and ride a van with the group. The vans will be stopping for dinner at the Rustic on the way to the event, leaving the church at 5.45 p.m. Register for this event today at fbp.org forward slash the link as tickets are limited. Join us for our second golf tournament of the year as we travel to Mont Bellevue to play the beautiful and very challenging Eagle Point Golf Club. Play this awesome course that features forested surroundings, dramatic elevation changes, and a great layout. November 12th, 8 a.m. Shotgun Start. $70 per person. Sign up in the church office or online at www.fbp.org forward slash sports outreach. When those lids come off those boxes, you have never seen such pure joy. This is amazing. As you can see, the children's faces, they are excited as they open up the gifts for the first time. What makes the gifts more than just gifts is the message that comes with the gift. This is the opportunity for a child to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus, and children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Millions of children around the world are being impacted by these simple shoebox gifts. One box can touch not just a child, but the whole family. So we need to keep packing those boxes and pray for the children that God will use this in a very special way. So thank you for being a part of it. God bless you. As you can see, we have a lot going on here at FBP. For more information about these and other events, go to our FBP app or fbp.org. As you go throughout your week, remember our mission at FBP is to help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you for watching and we hope you have a blessed week. Welcome to First Baptist this morning. Would you please stand with us? And let's sing this song together. We learned it last week. Sing it with us.
worship him this morning. We praise him today. It's so great to be in God's house with God's people. Thank you for being here this morning. I welcome everybody today, but especially those that might be our guest, not a member of our church, whether you're in this room or you're at home, we are so glad that you're here this morning. On the screen, there's a number. If you would call up that number on your phone and just text the word CONNECT. And then there's a little form that'll pop up, fill that out, and we'll know that you're here this morning. We just want to thank God for you, pray for you this week, maybe send you some things from our church. So if you'll do that, we would appreciate it. Members, would you welcome our guests this morning? Of course, we are working, you saw it on the video just a little bit earlier, we're working with Samaritan's Purse to distribute these Operation Christmas Child boxes around the world. We gave all of ours away the first week we had them. There's 200 more out there this morning. It's just, you just take one of these boxes. There's instructions in there what you can put in. You have to be careful, of course, what you buy, or you'll have to get an engineer to figure out how to get it in this box. This box must be able to close. And then they have to be delivered back to the church by November the 6th. Uh, the, and we'll distribute them then to a place that will get them to Samaritan's Purse, and they will, they will send them all over the world. There's even a way you can track the, where your box goes, what country it goes to. So if you'd be interested in that, they're out there between the cafe and the playscape. There's 200 more out there this morning. Pick up one uh, as you go this morning. John, you have something for us? Well, I do have something for us. How many of you saw that Astros game yesterday? <laughs> Big win. 18 inning game, lasted about six hours. The only thing I've got to say, the next one of you that complains about a long sermon we're going to report to the bishop. We're going to report you to the bishop. But anyway, great game. I didn't actually get to see that game. I was too busy watching Tennessee beat Alabama yesterday. And uh, great game. Of course, I grew up in Tennessee. Went to my parents' house, second half, watched that game yesterday. We hadn't watched a college game in a long time together, but just a tremendous game. And we're thankful for that. But I better get on to something spiritual, right? But uh, what I wanted to say is, uh, in a few weeks, is harvest day. And this is the one Sunday every year where we just give extra to God. We're supposed to be tithing and giving offerings to God all through the year. But I think you would agree with me that in the last year, God has been very good to us. He's certainly been good to us as a church. I want to thank you for your faithfulness during the five-week emphasis that we had on the church to the glory of God after last Sunday. Listen to this. In five weeks, there were 89 people who got saved. 89 people. We just thank God for that. And we're just so grateful. So we think about what God's done for the church. We think about what God has done in our own lives. And, and, and I think we just all agree that God's been good. But, you know, it wasn't until last week that I started praying about Harvest Day. And I said, Lord, what would you have me to give this year to Harvest Day? And so I'm beginning to pray about that. I encourage you to pray about that. It's the first Sunday of November. It's always a special Sunday. And if you'll begin praying about that and then... If we'll just be obedient and do what God leads us to do, uh, he will honor that and he will bless it. I want to just thank you for being in church today. God's doing great things. I believe today is going to be a good day in God's house. We've got some great music. going to be looking at some tremendous scripture today. And so we're just grateful that you're here. Let's have prayer, then we'll continue to worship. Father. We thank you on this beautiful Sunday morning that we can come into your house. Lord, we're excited the Astros won. I'm excited that Tennessee won. But God, today we celebrate a far greater victory than that. 
We celebrate a risen Savior who has paid for our sins, who's risen from the grave, and who has forgiven us, God. We, we, we praise Him today for being our all in all. We thank you, God, that when we woke up this morning, we had the health and the strength to come to your house, to be with your people, and to worship you. And Lord, our prayer is this, that as we sing these songs, these next few songs, we pray, God, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be acceptable in your sight. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. Would you be seated for just a moment, please?
Jesus. Say his name, would you? Jesus. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? All the world can come to him to have their sins removed. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful?
amen to you this morning. Everything that's gone before, everything that will come after, so be it. Because you proclaimed it. Amen. Bless this service. Bless our preacher. Draw people to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. Amen and amen. Let's thank them. Great music today, as always, but it may be especially good today. And I want to ask you a question. Now, I think when I ask this question, everybody is going to raise your hand. I don't think there's any question about that, but nonetheless, let me ask it. How many of you have ever asked God to do something for you, and for whatever reason, God chose not to do that? Just raise your hand. Now, that's every last one of us, I think, if we're honest, would say, there was a time in my life when I asked God to do something for me, and he didn't do it. And it really troubled me and confused me and maybe made me question the Lord or made me question my faith or all these things I've said I believe all these years. Maybe I question that. Well, I had this experience recently. It was not what you would call a big deal, but, you know, it still, it still happened. I don't know how it is with you at your house, but I like to do, I live in an older home, 40-year-old home, and so once a year I like to do some kind of a, of a small little project to kind of update my house and keep it in good shape and I had already done the project this year that I wanted to do hadn't planned on anything else and yet I noticed back during the summertime that there were several people in my neighborhood who were putting in new driveways and so one day the crew was out working in my street and I went out there and asked them not really thinking I was going to do this but I said would there be any way that you could measure my driveway and and give me a, a quote how much it would cost to replace my driveway my driveway is old and didn't have any rebar in there it's beginning to pull apart and so it needed to be replaced but in my mind I was going to do that in three or four or five more years down the road it really wasn't urgent but they said to me absolutely we'll get the owner to come over here and and he can measure this for you and he'll give you a price. Well, about 30 minutes later, doorbell rang, and I went to the door, and man was there. He introduced himself. He said, my name's Jess. I own this company. I said, well, my name's John, and I said, uh, if you could just measure this and give me a price. He said, absolutely, and so he walked around. You know how they have that little thing, and they're measuring how much space and distance and so on you have, and he got finished measuring. He did his math, and he gave me a price, and I said to myself, well, you know what? That's a fair price. That's cheaper than I thought it would be. And so I said, let's do the deal. I said, when can we start? He said, well, we can start later this week. We're already working in your neighborhood. I said, okay. Well, now, I don't know how it is with you, but when I start a project like that, I always pray at the beginning, God help everything to go well. I say, Lord, I pray that you will be the superintendent of this project. Just help everything to go smoothly, not to be any hiccups, no problems at all. And so they began to pour the concrete. I want to just show you a few pictures here. Here's the first picture. They're starting out. There, they're just pouring the concrete. Just keep showing the next picture. They're just pouring more concrete. The closer they got to the house, the louder I prayed and said, God, help everything to go smoothly. And then the next picture, you can see everything's going just fine. And so the, the project is going well. Well, there was a part of the driveway that they didn't get to fix on the day that they did all the other. They just ran out of time. And so they came back that day to pour the concrete. And I had prayed, God, I pray there'd be good weather no rain, no problems. Well, on the day they came back to finish the job, the bottom fell out of the sky. And it really rained hard. And so they put a tarp over the concrete to protect the concrete from the rain. Well, that was a good thing to do. But when this next slab, we're not going to show it yet, but in just a minute, when it began to dry out, 
it had some, it just was not a very pretty slab, maybe from the tarp they had put out, maybe it was a bad concrete mix, but I want you to notice what I ended up with here on this one slab. Can we, can we put that up there? Look at that. And that was my driveway. And so I called the owner, and he came back, and he said, well, look. He said, sometimes something like that dries out. Sometimes it doesn't. He said, why don't you give, me, give it two months? And if in two months it hasn't dried out and gone away, I'll come over here and replace that slab. And so we agreed on that. Well, for the next two months, I did everything I knew to make that go away. I prayed over that slab. I anointed that slab with oil. I did a little spot removal dance out there on that slab, and nothing was working at all on that. And so the two months ended, I called the man, and I said, well, it's still here. And he came out there and looked at it. He said, it is. We had an agreement. The two months is up. And he said, I'm going to replace the slab. And so that day, or later that week, it was actually on the same week, he sent his crew out there, and I want to show you what a beautiful job they did replacing that slab. Now, that was darker, and that's all dried in. It all looks good. In fact, my driveway is so perfect now that I no longer drive on my driveway. <laughs> and if you ever come over, just please park in the street and call me, and I'll come <laughs> meet you. It's just perfect. I mean, it's absolutely perfect. But the question is this. I prayed that it wouldn't rain. I prayed that, that there would be no problems. Why was the original slab messed up? And that's what I was asking myself for those two months. God, what went wrong? I prayed and I still had a problem. Now, maybe God was trying to teach me patience. I certainly need a dose of that. Maybe God wanted me and the owner of that company to become friends. And we have become very good friends. In fact, I called, texted him last week and I said, can I tell this story? He said, absolutely, you can tell it. And so maybe that's what it was. But here's what I know. Driveways are important, but driveways are not the most important thing in life. Some of you have prayed for God, for example, to heal a loved one of some cancer or maybe some other disease, and instead of God healing them, they died. And so naturally, you would have asked, God, why didn't you do what I asked you to do? Some of you have prayed for a relationship to be restored. And for whatever reason, that did not happen. And the natural question is, God, why? Why didn't you do what I asked you to do? Some of you may have prayed for a promotion at work. Not only did you not get the promotion, maybe you lost your job. And so you're thinking, God, why didn't you do what I asked you to do? Now, I want to answer. That is the million-dollar question, right? God, why don't you always do what we ask you to do? And I want to give you the definitive answer to that question this morning in three words. Are you ready for it? Say amen. Here's the answer to that question. I don't know. I don't know why God doesn't always do what we ask him to do. Let me show you this verse in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. We all know this one. Let's just read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Notice the Bible is telling us, God is telling us in these situations, when God doesn't do what you ask him to do, don't lean on your own understanding. Because many times in life, your own understanding is not strong enough to hold you up. And if all you do is lean on your own understanding, you'll fall down. And so the Bible says, instead of trying to figure it all out, I, did, I spent two months trying to figure that out. God, why did this happen? And I never got an answer, and I still don't know. So what we have to do is trust the Lord with those things that don't make sense to us. Now, there's something else I know. Not only do we not know why God doesn't always do what we ask him to do, but think about this. One day we will know. There's coming a day 
when all these mysteries in life that don't make sense to us now will make sense to us. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul said, now in this life, right now in the midst of the battle, I know in part. But then, that is when I get to heaven, I shall know just as I also am known. Paul was saying there are things in my life that I don't understand. I don't understand why God doesn't always do what I ask him to do. But I do believe this. One of these days when I get to heaven, I will know. It will be clear. It won't be a mystery. It won't be a riddle. It won't be confusing. When I see Jesus face to face and when I see his perspective on everything, what I'm going through now will make perfect sense. And so we have to accept the fact that sometimes for reasons unbeknownst to us, we ask God to do something and he doesn't do it. It's just, maybe it's just not his will. And we don't always understand that, but we have to trust him and we have to believe that God knows what he is doing. And so the real question, if you think about this, the real question is not, God, why didn't you do what I asked you to do? Because we don't, we're not going to get that question answered in this life, not fully. The real question is this, what am I supposed to do? What should I do when God doesn't do what I ask him to do? That's the question. What should I do in a situation like that? So if you have your Bible, open it, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And that's the question I want us to think about today. What should we do? And to those of you at home today and you're thinking, man, I chose a good day to tune into this service because I've been trying to figure out why God hasn't done what I've asked him to do. Well, the question is, what should you do now? In the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your disappointment, what should we do when God doesn't do what we ask him to do? And I want to mention four things today briefly. Number one, and this is where it all begins, keep trusting God. He still has a plan. At the heart of Christianity is our faith. And at the heart of faith is trusting God with the mysteries of life, trusting God when he doesn't do what we ask him to do. In a moment, we're going to look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 12, something that happened in Paul's life. But before we do, I want to show you a verse from the Old Testament book of Job. It's one of my favorite verses. We know Job's problems. Certainly, God didn't do what Job had asked him to do. Job was a godly man. You know he prayed for his family. He prayed for his life. He prayed for his kids. All of his kids died. On the same day, they died. Well, in that case, I'm sure Job thought, God, why did I ask you to protect my kids? And now they've died. J certainly, Job would have prayed for his health, for his job, for his finances, for, for all these things, and he just lost it all. And yet, Job came to a point in his own faith. Notice what he said. To me, this is the high water mark of faith in all of the Bible. Notice what Job said. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Job said, even though if God were to slay me, if God were to strike me dead while he's in the process of killing me, I make a decision that I'm going to trust him. Now, God wasn't going to slay Job or strike him dead, but what Job was saying, even if that extreme case happened, I choose to trust God. Let me ask you this question. In your own life, have you come to that place in your faith have you come to that place in your relationship with God where you can honestly say, even for reasons unknown to me, if God chose to strike me dead, 
While I'm falling to the ground, I choose to trust him. Does it make sense? Why would God slay me? Why would God kill me? I don't know. One day I will know, but for now, I choose to trust him. Well, we need a faith like that. That's where it all begins. And we trust God because he has a plan. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, this is familiar scripture. Paul is facing a problem in his own life. Paul had what the Bible calls a thorn in the flesh. Theologians have speculated for thousands of years what that thorn is. Some say it was his bad eyesight. That's what I personally think it was based on a passage in Galatians. We know Paul had a problem with his vision. Others say, no, it wasn't so much a physical problem. It was the adversaries and the enemies that Paul had in his life. That was Paul's thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn was. We only know this. Paul had a problem, and he prayed that God would take it away. And in verse 7, here's what we read. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And so the Bible here is saying Satan played a role in this thorn in the flesh, and yet we know that Satan is not sovereign Satan is not in control of our life. Satan can't bring anything into our life that God doesn't allow to come into our life. And so God was the one who had allowed this thorn to come into Paul's life. And in verse 8, he said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. On three different occasions, Paul prayed that God would solve this problem. And Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is perfect in weakness. In other words, Jesus said, Paul, I'm not going to remove that thorn. I'm not taking that problem away. I'm going to let you live with that. But here's what's going to happen. You're going to discover in this mess that you're in, in this pain that you're in, that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul said, you know, I've learned something about this thorn. I asked God to take it away, and God said he wasn't going to take it away. But he said his grace would be sufficient for me and that somehow in my weakness, I was going to discover a strength that I never knew I had, the strength of Christ living in me and through me. And so Paul's attitude toward that thorn changed. And he said here, now, instead of continually asking God to take this away, I've come to accept it. And I've come to believe that God has allowed this into my life to teach me to trust him more so that I could become stronger. We had a funeral just a few weeks ago for a godly lady in our church, Gaynell Palmer, 97 years old. She's one of my best friends in the church for many years. And my dad and I spoke together at her service. And Gaynell used to have a saying in life. And it was one of the best sayings that I had ever heard. And I think it was one of the secrets to living to be 97 with a clear mind, a sharp mind, and a, and a, and a positive outlook on life. She used to say this, with acceptance comes peace. Say that with me. With acceptance comes peace. And so sometimes in life, we have to accept those things that God has allowed into our life to accept those things that we can't change anyway, knowing that God is using that to increase our faith. Now, go back. You're in 2 Corinthians. Go back to chapter number 1, because in chapter 1 of this same book, 
Paul had another problem. He had another situation that he wished that he did not have. And in chapter 1 and verse number 8, notice what Paul says. In, in these verses, he gives us the reason that God allowed him to have this problem. He said, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Now listen to what Paul is describing. That we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Paul said, my situation was so bad that I no longer wanted to live. I would rather have died than to live. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Now, it doesn't get much worse than that. But notice what Paul says in the next part of that verse. So that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul said the reason God allowed us to get in this mess was so that we would trust in him. God is using these things to redirect our attention and to redirect our faith so that our faith is in him. And so I'm saying to you today, those of you here who say, yeah, John, not only did I ask God to do something and he didn't do it, I'm asking God now to do something and he doesn't seem to be doing it. Well, I don't know whether he'll do it or not. He may keep praying until he says no. Paul prayed three times that God would remove the thorn. But after God said no, Paul didn't pray the fourth time. But he prayed to God, told him to stop praying. And that's what I would encourage you to do. If, you're, if you've got a need in your life and that need is unmet, I would pray about it until God meets the need or until God says to you, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. And if he says that, accept it. And with acceptance comes peace. And trust him that his plan is better than your plan, even if it doesn't make sense from your perspective. And so our first step here, when God doesn't do what we ask him to do, keep trusting him. He still has a plan. Step number two, keep loving him. He's still good. Yes, we want to continue to trust God. But we also want to continue to love God with all of our hearts. You know, we talk in the church a lot about God's unconditional love for us. And I'm thankful for that. And I know you are too. Every time I sin, I'm thankful that God's love for me is unconditional. That he doesn't just love me when I am doing what, right. That he loves me no matter what I'm doing. So we, we make a big deal. And the Bible makes a big deal out of God's unconditional love for us. The agape, the unconditional love of God. But did you know? God wants us to have an unconditional love for him. Now, you think about that. It's one thing for him to have an unconditional love for us, but we need to have an unconditional love for him. In Matthew chapter 22, some people came up to Jesus one day, and they said, Lord, of all the commandments in the Old Testament, now there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Lord, of all these commandments, which one is the most important? Well, you know, if I'd have been Jesus, I'd have said, well, I'll tell you the most important, don't murder. Now, that you don't be doing that. That's a horrible sin. Don't commit adultery. That's, the, that's wrong. Don't do that. I might have thought that Jesus would have answered one of those things. But Jesus didn't give that. Jesus said, here's the most important commandment in all the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, I looked that word up yesterday, that English word love. I looked it up in the Greek. It's the word agape. Jesus said, here's the most important thing that you can do in your life to love me unconditionally. God says, I love you unconditionally. Why don't you love me unconditionally? You know, many times our love for God is a conditional love. We love God as long as God is doing what we want him to do. We say, man, I love God. I feel good. I'm strong. The money's in the bank. Everything's going well. I love God. He's blessed me. Well, how about if the health 
is not so good or the money's not so plentiful or, or things are not going so well. The question is, do we have an unconditional love for God in our heart? I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about this for the last several days. Loving God unconditionally. And in your bulletin today, you see we always try to print the names of people who have died in the previous week so that we can pray for their families. But I want to I share a little story here about some good friends of mine. I would say about 10 or 12 years ago, uh, I noticed a couple coming to church, sitting over here in this section, and I didn't know who they were. But they were here most every Sunday. And so I went up one after a service, and I introduced myself to them, and, and they introduced themselves to me, and they said, John, we want to tell you a little bit about us. They said, uh, his name is Ron, and her name is Sharon. They said, we live in Galveston, but we have family in Pasadena, and so we've been, we're familiar with First Baptist, and so we came to a service one time just to, you know, we just came, and we liked it so much that we have started a tradition. Every Sunday, we drive from Galveston to Pasadena, and we come to First Baptist Church. We do it every week, and they did that for years. And they said, on our trip, we always stop and eat at Papa's Seafood House on Interstate 45 down there. And I never knew if they really came here for the church or the meal. I don't know what it was, but they kept coming for years and years. And they love, this is a compliment to the church, they love this church so much that they sold their place in Galveston and they bought a house behind the church in this neighborhood right back here. And for years, they, they lived in that house. Well, about two or three years ago, they ended up selling that house and they bought a house on the street that I live on. And I tell you folks, my street is so full of church members, I can't get away with anything over there. I mean, they got me on every side. But Ron and Sharon live two houses down from me, and it's just been wonderful having them as neighbors after I had known them just through the church. Well, they've just been wonderful neighbors. Last Thursday, Ron texted me, and he said, uh, and we've talked multiple times since then, but here's the bottom line, and I'm sharing this today because it's in your bulletin. This is already public. He, he said to me, he said, John, I want you to pray for us. He said, our son, who lives in Atlanta, he and his wife live in the Atlanta, Georgia area. He's a contractor. He goes into houses and remodels houses and kitchens and so on. He was at the job site the other day in Buckhead, which if you know anything about Atlanta, that's a, that's a high-dollar area. It's to be like River Oaks. He was doing a job there. And while he was there working on a house, he looked out and he saw these two men, and it, they were in the process of stealing his pickup truck. And so he went out there, naturally, to investigate what, do do, what is this. And when he went out there to try to stop them from stealing his truck, these two men, these who were up to just no good at all, they, they shot him four times. He, he, they, he, they killed him. And they stole his wallet, and they took his truck. And it was not until much later on that day that the police in Alabama, were, they caught the two men, those men are put away and will be put away for a long, long time. But Ron and I have been talking about this ever since this happened on Thursday. Well, in the process of the last few days, he said something to me. He said, you know, John, he said, we've not really been coming to church during COVID because Sharon has some health issues and has to be very careful. And he said, we've not been coming. But he said to me, he said, this is the hardest thing 
that we have ever been through in all of our lives. And he said, I'll tell you what we've decided together. We are coming to church on Sunday morning because we need to be in God's house with God's people, singing God's praises, studying God's word together. And as I have thought about that the latter part of this week, I have said to myself, that is the most beautiful example I know of somebody having an unconditional love for God that says, God, no matter what happens, we still trust you and we still love you. And I'm going to tell you, the best sermon preached in this church today is not preached from this pulpit. The best sermon preached in this church today is on the back row of that section. Ron and Sharon Epperhart sitting there saying by their presence, we trust God and we love God and we're going to continue to be in his house and to be with his people. And so we're so thankful to God for that. I encourage you, whatever you're going through, keep trusting God and keep loving God. And the third thing I would say is this, keep obeying God. Keep obeying God. Many times, I thought a lot about this this week, many times people commit sins, and we all sin, but many times people commit sins that they never thought they would commit. And if you could really sit down and talk to them and trace that sin back to its source, the reason that they have chosen to commit that sin is because in their life, God didn't do what they asked him to do, and it confused them, and it puzzled them, and it disappointed them, and it shook their faith at its very core. And they, good people, we've, we, we've probably all done this. They said to themselves, what's the point? <laughs> I'm trying to do right by God. God has not done what I've asked him to do for me, and you know, I, I, I'm just maybe not going to be quite as careful with how I live my life. And like I say, well, I'm sure we have all done that. But I encourage you today, keep obeying God. No matter what happens in your life or what doesn't happen in your life, you keep obeying God and you keep uh, doing what is right in his eyes. And then the fourth thing I would say is you keep serving him. Keep serving God. Don't, don't stop serving God. I think it's easy Sometimes when the bottom just falls out, to just throw in the towel and say, well, you know, I, I've been serving God, but now look. And so I'm not going to keep serving God now. Here's what I believe. Are you still listening? Say amen. When God doesn't do what we ask him to do. Now, remember, the devil's always behind the scenes. And what the devil wants to do is to make you or to persuade. He can't make you do anything, but to persuade you. To stop trusting God, to stop loving God, to stop obeying God, to stop serving God. The devil wants to make you stop all of those things. But think about this. God, at a time like that, is looking at you and God is thinking to himself, how is she going to respond now? What's he going to do now? When I didn't do what they asked me to do. Are they still going to trust me like Job did and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? Are they still going to have an unconditional love for me? Are they still going to pursue purity and try to be obedient and do what is right in my eyes? Will they continue to serve me when nothing makes sense? I think about Job, all that he went through. And to make that situation worse, all of the people in that community, they began to talk behind Job's back and they began to say, well, the reason Job's having all these problems is... He's not right with God. There's some kind of sin in Job's life. And so he lost his reputation 
in addition to losing everything else. And God's watching that. And God is knowing he's lost his kids. He's lost his health. He's lost his finances. He's lost now his reputation in the community. God's on his throne. God's watching that. And God's testing Job. And God is wanting to know, Job, even when all of that has happened and you've lost all of that, will you keep serving me or will you throw in the towel and walk away? And I'm asking you today, what are you going to do? You know, I think a lot, not as much as I should. I don't think about this as often as I should, but I think about it. What's it going to be like when Jesus comes back? Reading a passage recently, and it talks about that he's going to come in the cloud, in, you know, in riding on the clouds, and there's going to be a shout from heaven, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and here comes Jesus. And what time of day will that be? What time of year will that be? Here's what I sometimes think What will I be doing when Jesus comes back? Is he going to find me doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Or is he going to find me doing something I'm not supposed to be doing? Well, look at this verse in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is speaking here, and he said, Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Find so doing what? Find so doing what God has told us to do. I don't know, and you don't either, when Jesus is coming back. But I, 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 I hope and pray that when Jesus comes back, he finds me trusting him, Loving him unconditionally, obeying him as best as I can, serving him as best as I can so that I wouldn't have to be ashamed at his coming. Look at this verse in 1 John chapter 2. This is one of the greatest verses in all the New Testament. And now, John says, little children, abide in him. That is, stay close to God. Why? So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. When Jesus comes back, I don't want Jesus to find me doing something that I shouldn't have been doing. I want him to find me doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, when you're young, I was thinking about this. Like when my brother and I were really young, I mean, almost babies are a little older than babies. And my parents would want to go out for an anniversary meal or a special meal. They just wanted to go somewhere, just the two of them. They would always call a babysitter and the babysitter would come and, you know, take care of us while they were gone. But as kids get older... They're not old enough to drive yet, but they're too old for a babysitter. And so the parents say, say to the kids, look, you know, my dad would say to us, we're going to be gone for two and a half hours. While we're gone, don't burn the house down, right? Here's what I want you to do. Make your bed, clean your room, mow the yard, give us these assignments. In addition to that, you don't have anybody over, no, nobody, none of your friends come over while we're gone. I mean, they gave us, put the fear of God in us. Here's what you're supposed to do, and here's what you're not supposed to do. We'll be back in two and a half hours. They would leave, and, you know, when you're young, two and a half hours seems like a day and a half, right? So you think, well, I've got to do all that stuff, but I don't have to do all that stuff right now. I've got two and a half hours to do what I want to do, and maybe the last 30 minutes I can take care of this stuff. You know what I noticed when I was at that age in life? While my parents had been gone if I had not been doing what they told me to do, or worse, if I was doing something they told me not to do, and then I heard their car pulling into the driveway. They didn't have a drive. They just had a regular drive. They used to park in their driveway. They weren't like me. They just park in their driveway. I would be thinking, oh, no. Are they back already? 
Is it already been two and a half hours? And look at my room, and I haven't mowed the yard. And look, I'm doing this. What I was really saying was, they're back, and I'm not ready for them to be back. If, on the other hand, I had mowed the yard, made my bed, cleaned my room, done what they had told me to do, and not done what they had told me not to do, and I heard that car driving in the driveway, I would say, you know what, I'm glad my parents are home because when they walk in this house, they're going to brag on me for doing what I was supposed to do. Now, folks, let me tell you something. One of these days, Jesus is coming back. You believe that? Say amen. And when he comes back, He's either going to find us doing what we ought to be doing or find us doing what we ought not to be doing. And I'm just saying in my case, I hope he finds me trusting him with all my heart, loving him unconditionally. There's no guarantee that he's going to find me this way, but I hope he does. I hope he finds me obeying him, and I hope that he finds me serving him so that when he comes back, I would not have to be ashamed at his coming. Amen? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, Christian friend, in your heart, you have that same desire. You you don't want Jesus to find you doing something you ought not to be doing. You want Jesus to find you doing exactly what you ought to be doing. Would you say to God, Lord, I don't know when you're coming. God, I may die before you come. You may come before I die. I don't know how that's going to work out. But I do know this. One day you're going to appear to me, either in the clouds or on my deathbed. You're going to appear to me. And God, my prayer is that when you appear to me, when your car, as it were, pulls in the driveway, And you honk on that horn twice. God, I'm asking you to help me to live my life in such a way that I'll be trusting you, that I'll be loving you, that I'll be obeying you, and that I will be serving you with all my heart. God, help me to be doing those things whenever and however you appear to me. Now, there's some here today, there's not a doubt in my mind, who say, John, the thought of Jesus appearing to me is a frightening thought. It's an intimidating thought. I'm not not ready. I'm I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't know. Folks, as I said at the beginning of the service, we have seen 89 people saved in the last five weeks. I don't think that's going to stop today. There's not anything different about this service than those services. We're still singing songs to God and preaching right out of the Bible. Today, if you say, John, I don't have that peace in my heart that if Jesus appeared today, that I would see him face to face. I just don't know that. You know what? You need to pray and you need to receive Christ and you need to be saved. You need a new heart. You kind of like my driveway. You, just, you need to just rip that old slab out and let God give you a, a new heart. Would you pray this today? Say, Lord Jesus, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. Lord, I have sinned and I'm sorry for everything I've done wrong. I ask you now to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you 
to do it. Lord, give me a new heart with new desires. God, make me a part of your family today. Now, I believe somebody prayed that prayer today in this service. We're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to stand up. We pause for one minute at the end of these services, and we give people a chance to stand. And I'm going to ask you to do that in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to stand up and remain standing. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that, but I want to have a prayer over you. And what I've noticed in these last few weeks, it's the hardest for the first person or the second person to stand. But when the first person stands, other people are encouraged. It's like a positive peer pressure. And others begin to think, if he can stand, I can stand. If she can do that, I can do that. And so all over this room today, people are praying that for those of you who just prayed that prayer, or maybe you prayed it before today, but you've never taken your stand for Jesus, that you would stand. Now today, you'll be making your confession to me. I'm the one looking around. But you've got to start somewhere. That confession will grow in time. But it has to start somewhere, and this is the place, and now is the time. So if you have received Christ, and today you would like to stand and let that decision be known, you just stand now and remain standing. Who would be first in this service today? Who would be first in this service? To stand and by standing saying, I have given my heart to Jesus. I'm trusting him as my Lord and Savior. And I'm not ashamed of him. That's another thing. When he appears, we, we want to make sure that we have confessed him. Because if we confess him, he will confess us. He will confess us before the Father and before the angels. Some have stood in the upper level. Thank you for standing. Just remain standing and I want to pray with you. Thank you. That takes a lot of courage. Another one stood. Thank you so much. Sometimes it takes just a minute before people... This is, a, this is life's most important decision. And I believe even now others are processing, should I stand? Should I stand today? You know you should, but you're thinking, am I going to stand today? It will take about 15 more seconds. Anybody else? Anybody else? Last chance for today. But if you know you need to stand, you stand. And if you stand, we'll add 10 more seconds to it. Okay. Okay. Well, Father, I thank you for these who have stood today. God, that's a big deal. And help them to know today that they have made the most important decision that they'll ever make. God, fill their hearts with peace. Help them to know today is their spiritual birthday, God. They've just been born again. They're like a newborn baby. They're all tomorrows and no yesterdays. Give them peace in their heart is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. Let's thank the Lord for those decisions today. And for those of you who stood today, I, I know you're busy. Everybody's got a schedule. But I'm going to ask you if you could do us a favor after the service and your family and friends can go with you. Come down here to the commons, the big lobby out here behind the worship center, and go this way. Go to our family room. We have a brand new Bible that we want to give you. We have some other literature that will help you grow and know about your next step that you need to take, baptism and these type things. And there are ministers there who just want to meet you. Now, there are others here today. This is happening every week. I believe there were 16 people who went to the family room last week uh, who were saying, hey, I'm already saved, but I want to join the church. Just go to the family room there, and ministers will meet you. Now, on your way out today, we're making available for the next 
several weeks this new booklet on anger, calling it The Danger of Anger. We've given away about 3,500 of those so far. If you've not picked one of those up, pick one up today, and hopefully it'll be a blessing. Or maybe you have a family member, friend. You do have to be careful how you give that book out because you could really make somebody angry if you gave that out wrong. Say, this is just for you, man. I think you need this bad. But any, you, I know you wouldn't say it that way. But pick some of those books on the way out. We're going to stand and sing. Thank you guys for being here today. If you have already experienced new life in Jesus Christ, you have a job to do this week. What is it? To help all people experience new life in Jesus Christ. Let's do it as we go from this place today. And let's also sing today in Christ alone, my solid ground. Sing with